Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Welcome. Thank you for joining us online. Um, As Chad mentioned, it's true, I'm very passionate about God's Word. It's changed my life and transformed my relationships and my marriage and, of course, my walk with Jesus. And so uh, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to speak from God's Word today. Uh, And it should come as no surprise, as Chad mentioned, that we're going to be discussing this business of gratitude. And as I was reading an article in my preparation on this um, uh, article by Albert Moeller, and he, he frames it pretty well, it says this, Thanksgiving is a deeply theological act, rightly understood. As a matter of fact, thankfulness is a theology in microcosm. It's a key to understanding what we really believe about God, ourselves, and the world we experience. So, what are uh, some of the keys to gratitude? Why has God ordained it? And what would our lives look like if we gave thanks more regularly? As in always. You know, Paul puts this quite well in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says this, starting in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Well, this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've spent a good deal of my life trying to discern and decipher what God's will is for me. And here we have a pretty good snapshot of it. We're to worship Him always remain in communion with him, and to give thanks to him in every circumstance for all things, good things, bad things, and yes, even unbelievably ugly things. So what are the consequences of getting this wrong, of taking God for granted? How does ingratitude affect our lives and our relationships, and what does it communicate about what we truly believe when we fail to give proper thanks to God. Now certainly with Thanksgiving approaching this week, we're getting excited to spend time with our family and friends, and maybe you've got folks coming in to stay with you from out of town, or you're about ready to leave and go visit some folks elsewhere. In any case, it is time that we spend being more thoughtful about what we're thankful for, and how we express that in the company of those that we know and love will communicate so much more than we often consider. We live in a culture that can be um, pretty superficial and maybe materialistic with gratitude. I'm thankful for my house and my job and my car and my family. And these are all good things, absolutely. But this is a, a lateral form of gratitude. All good things come from the Lord. Does our gratitude reach the heavens to the one whom is truly due? And does it bring heaven down to earth for those in our lives to see? You know, for some of us this week and this holiday season in general, it's, it's not an easy time. It's a difficult time. It's a time of hurt and heartache. Some of us sitting here this morning, we're not excited to get around family members. Maybe that's a difficult dynamic, a painful one that causes stress and anxiety. Perhaps you've lost somebody that you love this year, and this is your first season without them. The reality is, is that many of us are broken and struggling to find reasons to be grateful at all. Asking God, where are my good things? You might even be asking, is there a God who gives good things? Well, wherever you're at this morning, my prayer is for you that you'll find encouragement as we open God's word and we learn from his spirit the truth of our condition. So 
Uh, please turn in or turn on your Bibles to Psalm 69. We're going to look at the closing verses of this psalm, which is 30 through 36. And if you don't have a personal Bible, um, there are, of course, plenty of opportunities on your electronic devices, version, etc. But if you don't have a physical Bible, um, we would like to give you one as a free gift. There's something intimate and personal about thumbing through the familiar pages of your own Bible. So I'd encourage you to do that. So Psalm 69, verse 30 through 36. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. Those who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy, and he does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is true and that your word can be trusted. You have preserved your word throughout all generations. Every kingdom and empire built with human hands, every philosophy or false religion that's conceived by human wisdom, these things come and go, God, but your word remains. And so we ask you that through this word, you would reveal more of who you are to us today and show us ourselves and show us our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, during our time this morning, I want to focus on Four keys to gratitude that we see in this passage, and we'll talk a little bit about their counterparts as well. And uh, now Jad could probably do a four-week sermon series on all of these, so I'm going to try and keep it compact. But our first key that we see is this. Gratitude magnifies. Ingratitude minimizes. Gratitude magnifies. Ingratitude minimizes. Now the author of this psalm is none other than David. Uh, and he's communicating to us through the direction of the Holy Spirit that our gratefulness, our thanksgiving, magnifies who God is, and that leads us to a posture of praise. Verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Now this isn't to say singing songs, which is something I enjoy doing, is the only way to demonstrate our gratitude towards God, but it is indicating that gratitude is a form of worship. And David would dig a little bit deeper on this idea in Psalm 34, actually, starting in verse 1. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That sounds a little bit like Paul was getting after in 1 Thessalonians. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, the word magnify in both passages can be translated glorify. And in the Hebrew, it's this word gadol, which you'll surely forget by lunchtime, if not sooner. Um, and that bears little consequence on you, except for in essence, it's telling us that our giving thanks to God maximizes the experience of his exceeding greatness. First to our own hearts and minds, and then, of course, to the people who are in our lives that God has placed there. Look at verse 32 of Psalm 69. When the humble see it, they will be glad. Now, I'm a visual learner, and so you guys need to be today, too. Uh, I want you to think about this like this pair of binoculars, okay? This pair of binoculars represents uh, the measure of our gratitude towards God, and when we equip ourselves with this, 
it makes God seem nearer to us. And we can see the details of his majesty more clearly. Right? As we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And the binoculars work the same way, whether we're in the valley of life or on the mountaintop. It maximizes what we're focused on. And so what's that natural reaction of the humble observer of our lives? Well, hey, let me take a look at that, right? And now we've equipped somebody, and they're, oh, wow, you're not kidding. I didn't, I didn't realize that God was this amazing, this beautiful. We can, become, we can make disciples when our gratitude reaches the heavens and brings it down to earth. Now, conversely, we can choose to use these binoculars incorrectly, and the temptation here is to magnify myself, right? If there is a God out there, he better check me out because I'm a pretty big deal. But when we equip ourselves with this perspective, it minimizes who God is. It makes him seem insignificant in the midst of our circumstances, whether we're in the valley or on the mountaintop. Ungrateful perspectives diminish God and the reality of his existence. And so what's that same humble observer of our life What's their view of this, right? You know what? I don't see him anywhere out there. That's, nope, not at him. Can you find anything? No, I'm good. You can keep your little microscopic God to yourself. It's so easily we can become a stumbling block to those who seek God. Now, it's important to point out that you can't look through binoculars both ways at the same time. And this is the same thing with gratitude. Gratitude and ingratitude cannot occupy the same space. They cannot coexist. It's like hot and cold, love and hate, light and dark. Wherever our gratefulness decreases, ingratitude inevitably fills that void. But just like hot melts cold and our love conquers our hate and light casts out dark, ingratitude must flee in the face of true thanksgiving. Now, before we move on, let's just clarify that we're not talking about thanks feelings here. David doesn't say thanks feeling in verse 30, because it's entirely possible to have feelings of gratitude for people and not communicate that through the giving of thanks or the showing of our appreciation. Gratitude, like love, is not just an emotion. It takes action. And this is at the center of every broken relationship in our lives whether it's a family member or a friendship. Maybe it's a work relationship. Of course, our marriages struggle with this and our relationship to God. When gratitude is not expressed in tangible ways, it always translates as ingratitude to the one who is truly deserving of it. And this makes for messy relationships. So key number one, gratitude magnifies. Ingratitude minimizes. Key number two, Gratitude pleases God. Ingratitude pleases self. Ingratitude pleases God. Ingratitude pleases self. Verse 31, this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. In other words, a legal and acceptable sacrifice according to the law. For those who are unfamiliar, the Israelites operated on this sacrificial system that was given to them by God to make atonement for their sin. And oxes and bulls were used in these offerings. And they were ready and primed for sacrifice once their horns and hoofs came forth. So this is, this is a legal and acceptable sacrifice. And what 
David is communicating is that our works, our own efforts, as noble as they might be, are not what truly pleases God, but instead it is sincere thanksgiving for who he is, for what he's done, and for his sovereign reign over our circumstances. Psalm 50 is is helpful in understanding this when God speaks through Asaph, saying in verse 8, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, Your burnt offerings are continually before me. God is addressing the hypocrisy of the Israelites who had succumbed to idolatry, placing these other gods from the surrounding nations before him, and they were occupying themselves with pleasing themselves and then still offering these sacrifices to God like somehow that would suffice. This is similar to the legalism and licentiousness that we see in our own culture today, right? We have this mentality that we can either earn our salvation by performing religious activities or maybe just being good and nice, or we do whatever we want because God is good. God is loving and he's forgiving, so we abuse his grace. Continuing in Psalm 50 and verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Perform your vows, taking action. Thanksgiving, true thanksgiving, costs something. Whether it's just being vulnerable and humble, which we'll we'll get to more in a minute, or the fact that it requires us to sacrifice our time, our resources, our finances, our gifts and abilities, our very selves. Hebrews 6.13, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now Paul describes a frightening contrast when culture abandons this principle of gratitude as he pens some of his last words in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he says this speaking about the terrible times that we will experience in the last days. Verse 2, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Say this next one with me. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, before we jump to the conclusion that Paul is only addressing people outside of the church, let's not Miss verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, I'm not speaking from a place of achievement here, my dear friends. I resonate with Paul when he claims to be the chief of sinners. And if you're like me, you might see some of these qualities in the man or woman in the mirror. There's certainly people from my past who could describe me in some of these ways. So let's examine our own hearts this morning as Paul implores us to avoid being such people. Key number two, gratitude pleases God. Our ingratitude pleases self. Key number three, gratitude humbles us. Ingratitude puffs us up. Now back to our original text of Psalm 69, verse 32. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God... Let your hearts revive, or let your hearts live. For the Lord hears the needy 
and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Genuine expression of gratitude that magnifies and pleases God is from a place of humility. And this word humble in the original text is anah, and that can also be translated poor or afflicted. And we see this all throughout Scripture, that it is in our afflictions that we recognize that we're poor in spirit, and we're this is what humbles us. Recognizing the depravity of our hearts. That we are slaves and prisoners to sin. And we need the salvation that only comes from God. This is exactly where David is coming from. I'm, not, I'm just going to touch on some of the language used here. In the, in the beginning of this psalm, I would encourage you all to read Psalm 69 in its entirety. But this psalm is titled, Save Me, O God. And it opens with that same line. And David goes on to say things like, For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. I am weary with my crying out, waiting for my God. Does anyone feel like they're drowning in the deep mire of life this morning? Weary from crying out, wondering if God even hears you? can be so easy for us to let our circumstances dictate our view of God, and without even recognizing it, we become ungrateful. Those binoculars get turned around, and we put our focus on ourselves. David would fight this instinct with a humble confession. God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me. David's concern for those who observe his life, that his circumstances and crying out would not minimize who God is to them, and that they would not be led astray on account of his suffering and humility. This is a man after God's own heart. And he would go on to say that it was when he swallowed his pride and humbled himself and wept over his sins that this reproach or persecution from his enemies would fall on him. And the fact is, is that these are God's enemies. And when we put our faith and our trust in God, the world who has taken God for granted becomes hostile towards us. Paul again, very helpful. Romans 1, starting in verse 20, for his invisible attributes, this is God, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they, God's enemies, are without excuse. Listen carefully. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or, next two words, give thanks to him. In their ingratitude, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It sure is hard to see in the dark, isn't it? Fail, failure to give proper thanks to God is rooted in our ungrateful pride. Ingratitude puffs us up with our own knowledge, our own truths, our own ideas, and we forsake what God has made plain for everybody to see, the whole world. And we avoid humility at all costs. 
We magnify ourselves and our sin as proud ambassadors of a world in darkness. This is the inevitable conclusion when we try to create our own substitute heaven here on earth. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it is impossible to please him. Impossible. For whoever would draw near to God, binoculars, well, they must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Gratitude humbles us. Ingratitude puffs us up. Quick recap of our keys. Key number one, gratitude magnifies us. Ingratitude minimizes, sorry, magnifies God. Ingratitude minimizes. Key number two, gratitude pleases God. Ingratitude pleases self. Key number three that we just went over, gratitude humbles us. Our ingratitude puffs us up with the pride. And key number four, gratitude restores. Ingratitude destroys. Gratitude restores. Ingratitude destroys. Now in these final verses, David would call all of creation to join him in praising the Creator with grateful worship. Verse 34 of Psalm 69, Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. This is all-inclusive. It's not just humans that are to magnify God, but every living thing that has breath, praise the Lord. Why? Well, verse 34 is actually a response to verse 35. For God, or because God, will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. People shall dwell there and possess it. This is speaking of God's promise to restore. Zion is used frequently in the Old Testament as a reference to God's holy city and a time when he will restore all things. And we can trust him to restore and rebuild our lives, even in this temporary world. So this language about Zion is looking forward to God restoring all things to himself and, of course, the people who will be with him. Verse 36, the offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name, that's, that's us, brothers and sisters, shall dwell in it. The Apostle John is given an incredible vision of this on the island of Patmos, which is a prison, not a paradise. And he gets his view from heaven. In Revelation 7, when he sees a multitude of saints, those who love his name, with all the angels and all the elders, saying together in verse 12, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Thanksgiving is the proper response to a reality that God is creator and sustainer and savior of all life. When we humble ourselves before this almighty God, magnifying him with our sacrifices of thanksgiving to his good pleasure, we experience the restoration of our souls, our relationships and experience peace that surpasses understanding, even in the midst of our afflictions. So much so that even a heart of stone will cry out in praise. And as Peter says, will be made into living stones, built up into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God.
he will do the building. Joseph Parker has some commentary on these final verses of Psalm 69, and he says this, even in brick building and stone building, it is perfectly true, religiously and metaphysically true, that except the Lord build the wall, it will fall and crumble back into the dust that was handled atheistically. Nature is on the side of her God. God is architect, and God is builder. And he is building all things on a plan. Brothers and sisters, what are we building this morning that magnifies ourselves? What are we building in our lives that does that? Are we toiling in the dust, seeking our own pleasure? No, we make sacrifices to our own prideful hearts for the purposes of our own puffed-up plans. Those plans will crumble. Exodus twenty-two twenty, Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. Gratitude restores. Ingratitude destroys. The stakes are high, folks. I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to wager eternity on myself, on my own merit. Uh, that, I'm hopeless if that's the case. I need the true Savior. We all need the true Savior. It is Jesus who is our only hope. And he's our perfect example. Just thinking of the four keys we've covered today. No one has magnified God the Father more than God the Son he says it himself. If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. You can't magnify him anymore. Are we able to say that if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus? That's a difficult question to answer. No life has been more pleasing to the Father than that of his Son. Matthew 3.17, God speaks audibly to the crowd who witnessed his baptism. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So pleased that he would raise him from the dead and exalt his name above every other name. There's no greater depth of humility than that which is witnessed in the life of Christ. Philippians 2, speaking of Jesus, who, though being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with the Father something to be possessed and held on to. But he was willing to let it go and emptied himself. And verse 8, being found in human, human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God himself, entering into the chaos of humanity to restore the fallen creation. Why would he do that? Quick story and we'll close. About a year and a half ago, I received a text that made my heart sink. And many of you know this as we've been in the, you know, prayer list perpetually. It seems like I'm just going to pick one to talk about today. But my little sister, Allie, who was 32 at the time, had suffered a stroke. And when she arrived at the hospital, she also suffered a seizure, which is not known to accompany a stroke. And in the days in, uh, to follow this event, it would be some of the most terrifying times in our family's life as Allie became less and less responsive and her left side was seized with tremors. She was just constantly shaking, gripped, tense, not responding. She was a mystery 
So all the doctors trying to figure out what was going on. My parents, of course, were gripped with fear because there was concern that Allie was slipping into a coma and she might even be dying. Somehow, my older sister, Christine, and myself were able to enter into this ensuing chaos with a still and calm spirit and a loving voice of comfort. And I can only attribute this to the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was evident that this is what was needed, and I thank the Lord that He gave us the strength to do that in those moments. And we'd be able to start communicating with Allie in simple ways, yes and no, words she, that were easy to say, and um, trying to just exercise that mental muscle memory that she has. She's such a smart girl. And uh, we would rub her feet and her hands because they were, again, they were just clenched and tremoring all the time. She had no rest. And rubbing her feet would, would release that tension and she would actually be able to relax and sleep. And we would stay with her overnight. She was never left alone during this time. And I say all this because so many of you, being on the prayer list, uh, we, you would come up to us and come up to me and just ask how she was doing. How could you pray for her? And I kept finding myself in every conversation describing how grateful I was in this odd way, as terrifying as everything was, that I was grateful for the opportunity to love my sister in this unique way that I would never have been able to do under any other circumstance. It was incredible, and she quickly became the place where all the nurses wanted to be. Because not only was I magnifying God's love for my little sister, but I was also magnifying his love for those who were witnessing it. The, the nurses and the doctors in the hospital, our family was just loving on their little baby girl. And you could tell that the nurses just wanted to be around that love. You could see it in their eyes. They, they so desired to be loved that way, that genuine, authentic love. And brothers and sisters, we are all loved that way and eternally more. God has demonstrated the enormity of his love to us through the sacrifice of his son. And as Jesus sat with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, before he would break the bread to signify this horrible and gruesome death that he was going to experience on the cross, what did he do? He gave thanks. He gave thanks. God the Son was grateful for the opportunity to show the world how much God the Father loves them by sacrificing His perfect life for our sins. Even those who would never believe it or accept this most incredible truth that we could possibly know. My sister can never deny my love for her. She would have to outright reject it and deceive herself about the experience. This is the same for all of us. We cannot deny God's love for us that is on display on the cross in Jesus for all of human history to see. We either reject Him and we deceive ourselves to our own destruction or with a humble heart full of thanksgiving we magnify Him with our lives. We trust Him with our death. And one day He will be pleased to restore us to new life in him forever. What a reason to be grateful this Thanksgiving. Amen? Now, if you've never put your trust in Christ, 
I would sincerely encourage you to accept his gift of grace and pardon and mercy this morning. If that's a place that you're at or a step that you want to take or something you have questions about, uh, myself and Chad and some others will be down here. We would love to answer any questions that you might have. We'd love to walk through those next steps with you. If you've got a card in front of you, you can fill that out and either come bring it to us or set it in the black box back there and leave us some some ways to connect with you and contact you. And uh, I would encourage you to do that. As I invite the band back up here, I would encourage everybody today to ask themselves a couple questions. Question number one. What areas of my life do I need to minimize myself and magnify God? Question number two. Who in my life have I taken for granted and how can I show them my gratitude? This week and every week, Let us magnify him with thanksgiving together. Will you pray with me? Father God, Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this special time, this special week in thanksgiving. I I pray a blessing over everybody in this room, everybody watching online, that this weekend in our households, in our relationships, in our conversation, that we would magnify who you are to us, that those in our lives would see your goodness, and the truth of what you've done through your Son, Father. There's no thing to be more grateful for than the sacrifice of your Son, the payment for our sins. God, you are what we should be focused on. You are who we should be pleasing. Father, we, we submit this to you this morning. We ask that you would Just bless this time and bless this Thanksgiving week. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.